This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of Get Booked is sponsored in part by Book Riot Insiders. If you are struggling to keep up with the latest releases or want to keep an eye on what's coming out in the next few months for work or your own personal pre-ordering needs, or perhaps you need help turbocharging your TBR, BookRite Insiders is here for you. Our new release index, available at the novel level for just $5 a month, is curated by our resident Velasa reader, Liberty Hardy, from the All the Books podcast. She keeps track of the most exciting books pre-publication so that you can browse them, know when your favorite author's next novel hit stores, or find your next favorite read. So go to insiders.bookriot.com to sign up. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 174, and we're recording on March 26th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. That is correct. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I got nothing. It's such a, it is the Tuesdayest of Tuesdays. Oh, I'm sorry. That ever Tuesday. Ah! What are you reading? I am almost done with Night Chaser by Amanda Boucher, which is like a space opera romance. It's very enjoyable so far. Um, the main character, Tess, is the captain of a crew who do like a little bit of smuggling, a little bit of rebellion, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, and they're on the run because they stole what they thought were a, back- a bunch of vaccines that they were going to give to orphans because good guys. Uh, and uh, and then like the, you know, Empire military is pursuing them. And then there's a sexy bounty hunter and who knows what might happen. And I don't want to give too much away because there's a lot of like plot twists and potential spoilers, but it's super fun uh it's very enjoyable if you're looking for something like rompy that also has a conscience so mm. yeah night chaser amanda boucher good stuff what about you um i am about halfway through milkman by anna burns which was the man booker winner right. and long listed for the women's prize this year i'm reading the women's prize long list that's what's happening um and it is about the the troubles is what i always heard it called growing up but I feel like that's like a really terrible euphemism for civil war. There was a civil war <laughs> in Ireland and the book takes place in the seventies. Um, and it's about an 18 year old girl who like catches the eye so far. I don't know if he like assaults her. I'm not, I'm not sure. I went into this pretty blind, um, but she catches the eye of a local paramilitary, like guy really high up in the local paramilitary um, structure. He's very dangerous and frightening and terrible and awful. And she just like, at the point that I'm at now is trying to figure out like how to get rid of him because now these rumors are spreading that she's involved with him when in reality he's just like following her it's very creepy and ominous and like it's written in a um it reminds me a lot of Virginia Woolf like it's written in a very stream very stream of consciousness like pages of one sentence commas 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 and it's brilliant like it's probably the hardest book that I've read so far as far as like experimental prose I really have to pay attention you can't read it while you're watching Parks and Rec in the background kind of a thing Mm. um but it is absolutely brilliant if it does not win I'll be very surprised although I've said the same thing about Freshwater so yeah so far these are the two that I'm like if either of these win I will be fine um nice the other books are also great but these two are like you're doing a whole thing here (laughs) like you're changing (laughs) the course of literary fiction good job so that's what I'm reading 
Um, go read it. Uh, okay, so how the show works. As I said, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So you can send us your reading recommendation requests via email at getbookedatbookriot.com or you can drop them in the show notes. Uh, there's a form at the bottom of the show notes on the site. You can drop your question there. If your question is time sensitive, please put it in big, bold letters in the subject line of the email or in the first line if you're using the form. Put it in the first line there so we can answer it on time. We might email you back if we've already answered your question on the show. Or if it's time sensitive and we're not going to get to it in time on the air, then we will go ahead and email you back. And these can be for anything. If you need a reading recommendation for yourself or for your book club or um, for a gift for someone, anything is all is av available. I don't know what I'm trying to say. We'll answer all, any questions. <laughs> get it together, Nelson. Um, okay. We don't have any feedback this week, so we're going to just jump right into it. I will read our first question and talk about our first sponsor. And then I'm going to stop talking. Because I'm not doing very well at it today. On this <laughs> You're morning. doing a great job, Amanda. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Our first question is from Emily, who says, I am currently in graduate school and spend all my time reading textbooks. When I come home at the end of the night, I want to lose myself in something entertaining, compelling, and fun. Reading is my stress reliever. And with finals coming up, I need something to relieve my stress every night. I just finished Little Fires Everywhere and loved it. I love the juicy plot line full of family secrets. I especially love the coming of age aspects, including the youthful and slow burning romances and the heartbreaking love triangle. I also read The Interestings earlier this year. And though I found it kind of slow, I enjoyed the coming of age narrative and slow burning romance between two friends. Something I appreciate in both of these novels is that although romance was part of the story, it wasn't the entire story. Do you have any other book recs that include some of these aspects, but also have a gripping plotline to keep it all interesting? Okay, so before we get to answering that question, I'm going to talk about our first sponsor, which is Nurex. So imagine if you could chat with doctors anytime from your phone and get prescribed online your birth control and get it delivered straight to your door every month, automatic refills. And that is, you know, enter Nurex, the game-changing company that's here to make getting birth control easier. So it offers end-to-end -end care without ever having to leave your house. You don't have to pay, you know, you're paying for fewer doctor visits, skipping lines at the pharmacy, or the drive-in line, which is what I do, which is just the most annoying because you got to sit in your car for like 20 minutes. Anyway. That's a side rant. No more forgetting to pick up your refills every month. If you don't have insurance, it's the most affordable option out there. If you do have insurance, your birth control is likely free. Just go to their website or their app and answer a few of your a uh, few health-related questions for their doctors. They carry over 50 brands of birth control, so you can choose your go-to, or the medical team will help you narrow down the best option for you. This is all safe, secure, HIPAA compliant, so nothing to worry about there. So go to nurex.com, that's N-U-R-X.com slash booked for a $20 credit and get birth control at your doorstep in less than a week. That's nurex.com slash booked. Thank you for sponsoring the show. All right, Jen, what you got? All right. So this question was for something juicy, family secrets, coming of age, stress reliefy type reads. And I think that Modern Lovers by Emma Straub is a pretty solid comp for um, The Interestings by Meg Wallitzer, which you mentioned. It's shorter uh, if you don't have as much time. Um, and it is like that kind of... You know, it's a found family. So it's about these uh, former college bandmates slash friends, Elizabeth, Andrew and Zoe, who are now grownups like living in, you know, Brooklyn and have like very successful, normal adult lives. But they still are trying to like hang on to their cool cred from their college days. Um, their band like was a little bit of a hit, like they got famous. And then the lead singer of the band died tragically. And so... 
they haven't really done that much since, but they still like feel like the cool kids because, you know, you, you, we basically all try to hang on to our youngest, <laughs> coolest selves. Um, but now they have teenage children. They're all like, you know, headed towards 50 and their teenage children are starting to have their own coming of age storyline, which you do get. You get the teenager's perspective. And in the meantime, there's like a somebody's trying to make a movie about um, their former bandmate who died and they're sniffing around for the life rights. And there's some disagreement among the the group over whether or not they want to give those rights up and take the money or like hang on to them and not have that part of their lives open to public scrutiny or like whatever Hollywood is going to do with it. Um, and so it is about these sort of, you know, and there are secrets that come out and misunderstandings and complicated friendship stuff and, you know, midlife, a little bit of midlife, light midlife crisis in there. <laughs> Nothing too heavy. Um, and the thing I loved about this book is that the characters do really feel real. They're so familiar. Uh, even in their annoying moments, mm-hmm. you're just like, ah, oh, yes, this is, I, I, I know this story um, in a way that's very enjoyable. Like it's very dishy um, and as well as being very smart. And also it's very light on the stress because nothing bad happens to these people. Like they have money, they're successful, they have resources, like they're going to be fine. Like whatever it is, they're going to be fine. So it's really unstressful in that regard. You're not like, oh gosh, my, is everybody going to be okay? Like, no, they're all going to be fine. Uh, so I feel in that way, it's very not stressful um, and a really enjoyable read. So again, that is Modern Lovers by Emma Straub. I picked Young Jane, Young Jane Young by Gabriel Zevin, um, which is a bit more stressful. Um, there is, I don't know, it's not higher stakes, but it's it's high stakes. It's about a girl at the beginning of the book. Um, she's young. Her name is Aviva. And this is very much a coming of age novel about her. Um, and she lives in Florida. She is a young Jewish woman who has started working for, is he a congressman? Yes. She started working for a congressman um, during his election campaign. And the two of them get involved. And he is married um, and obviously much older than her. When she starts working for him, she's uh, a college student. And it, they get into a car accident and are discovered together in the car. You know, and the press puts two and two together and the news of their affair kind of breaks. Um the, I don't know, like millennial-ish twist here is that Aviva has been keeping a blog the whole time anonymously about their relationship um, that doesn't specify what politician it is or who she is, but has enough details that when the press puts it together, who she is, you know, her blog becomes really public. It has pretty graphic details about their physical relationship, all of that. So her life is pretty much over. Uh, His, of course, is not. He goes on to be a successful politician. Um, And then what happens to Aviva is that she has to start all over, right? Like she has to change her name. She moves. Um, She has a daughter. She becomes like grows up, becomes a single mom living in New England um, and becomes like a business owner. Her past is her past. She's just trying to move on. Uh, and then she decides to run for local office. I think it's mayor. I don't remember. She tried, She's deciding to run for very, very local office. Um, and her secrets kind of threaten to come to light. While at the same time, she's dealing with her daughter, um, whose name is Ruby, who is ask, starting is like old enough to start asking questions about like who her father is and what her mother's past was like and why they don't talk to any of her grandparents and all of that. And the book is told from a lot of different perspectives of women involved in the situation, including Ruby, uh, Aviva herself, of course, Aviva's mother, who is my favorite point of view character so in this whole book. She's so so good. Um, also, M. Beth Levin, who is the wife of the congressman who has the affair with Aviva, who is surprisingly awesome. Like, 
Mm-hmm. I don't know what I expected going into her POV. You, we, I mean, of course, you can just like look at pop culture and know that we all have preconceived notions about what the the a woman who would stand by a man like that would be like. Um, but then you get into her head, and she's just scathing and angry and ambitious and weirdly com- like compassionate and sympathetic and interesting. And I don't know. It's just my reaction to almost every character in this book was like the opposite of what I expected it to be. Obviously, this is based a lot on the Monica Lewinsky scandal um, and is very relevant to the Me Too movement and things that are happening in our you know culture right now. But it's also just a page turner. Like Gabriel can write the most fascinating people and not all of them are likable, but all of them are engaging. And like, you're here for their story, even if their story is like a little bit cringy. Um, So I don't know. It it is about a stressful topic, but the characters are also the point of view characters anyway. Like the Congressman is not sympathetic, but all of the point of view female characters in the book are so interesting um, and ultimately have such understandable and human motivations for what they're doing that I didn't feel particularly stressed out when I was reading it, which I feel like is a important point here. So that's Young Jane Young by Gabriel Zevin. Yeah, and definitely not any more stressful than Little Fires Everywhere, oh, yeah, for yeah, example. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you're fine. Mistakes right there. Yeah, word, exactly. Uh, okay, question two is from Kayla, who says, I am a gender, women, and sexuality studies major. I find myself spending many hours a week delving into the deep end of emotionally difficult theories and topics. I love my major and wouldn't have it any other way. However, I need fluff to reboot. Unfortunately, most fluffy books are frustratingly problematic. So my question is, can you recommend some light and delicious novels and memoirs that can help me turn my brain off without making me wonder why I have faith left in humanity? All genres welcome. Oh, Kayla, I feel you. (laughs) Uh, Okay. I'm recommending the Heroin Complex series by Sarah Kuhn, which is just so much fun. It is really, really great fluff, really smart, fun, clever, uh, and just so um, it's so silly. Uh, The first book uh, takes place in San Francisco, and it's about Evie Evie Tanaka, who is the personal assistant to a superheroine named Aveda Jupiter, who is very much a diva and, you know, like get as freaks out if she gets a zit or whatever, um, but also is, you know, keeping the city safe from demons. And those demons include things like demon cupcakes, because why not? And Evie is sort of you find out that she's in this role and puts up with Aveda's nonsense for very specific reasons. They've been friends for a really long time. They have a lot of history together and Evie has some secrets. Um, and her parents have died and she's trying to raise her teenage sister, Bia. And everything is getting very, very difficult for Evie. And then one night, Aveda gets injured and needs uh, somebody to go in her stead to a social function. It's just supposed to be like a gala that she's the guest of honor at. And so she tells Evie, like, I need you to sub for me. I can't miss this. My public must not be let down. All you have to do is, you know, put on the clothes and go and nobody will notice that we've swapped places because they look similar-ish, although actually not so much. Uh, And so there's like a joke in here about how all Asian women look the same. <laughs> That's very, Sarah Kuhn is like very skewering that. And so Evie goes, but then 
you know, nothing's ever simple and demons show up and hijinks ensue, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a bunch of books in this series. They're really enjoyable and the characters are so good. And there are stakes in here. Like Evie has been through some traumas and is really sort of shutting herself down and shutting herself in to in order to not have to cope with them. And this book is very much about coming to terms with emotional baggage but in again like with karaoke and cupcake demons so it's very enjoyable i think there will be things in here that you will really appreciate and it will it'll just it'll feel like candy to your brain in the best possible way so again that's the heroin complex series and heroin complex is the first book by sarah coon so when i feel like i cannot handle um the world or like humanity as it is existing right now i tend to read this is so weird victorian murder mysteries (laughs) like i'm gonna go read some sherlock holmes or sherlock holmes retellings um so i pick something like that for you it's the veronica speedwell mystery series by deanna rayborn and the first book is a curious beginning i love this series so much i think there are four out um right now the fourth one just came out and i just finished the third one this week um and i think that as a gender women and sexuality studies major you'll actually find a lot here to like enjoy but in a very stress-free kind of environment i mean there's like there's murders but you know it's like fluff um so the main character is obviously a woman named veronica speedwell she lives in london in the 1800s she's an orphan she was raised by um her aunts but well people who she thinks are her aunts hey uh and then the last one of her you know the last one dies and she's left by herself um and veronica is an amazing character because she is like she's very blue stocking very modern sensibilities has no like has no time for religion has no time for propriety does not care about um like the things that women are expected to do in victorian society she has this rule she really really likes sex so but she has this rule that she does not sleep with englishmen on english soil because then you know her she's going to get a reputation and she's not going to be able to like go and do all the things that she wants to do um so she like only sleeps with people outside of the UK, which is like just such an, I don't know. I love that detail so much. Um, But so she, when the book, when the first book opens, she's at the funeral of her last aunt um, and she's planning what to do with her life, right? Like she's an adult. She has nobody. um, She's got a tiny little inheritance. She's also a scientist. She's a lepidopterist, I think is the word for a person who studies butterflies and moths. And so she's planning her next adventure, like where she's going to travel to, to do her, her work. Um, She's, widely published on the topic um, and a professional essentially. But while she's doing that, she gets kidnapped um, and like brought into this whole plot that has to do with the actual identity of her parents and who she actually is. And while she's solving this mystery um, about herself, she teams up with a guy named Stoker who is a disgraced Duke, not Duke. He's a disgraced something like second son of a Duke or some kind of aristocrat who's just super cranky, bad tempered, has his own storied past um and kind of he's kind of the not the worst like he's got he's just a grump like he he's a grump who she completely ignores except when he is useful to her their relationship is hilarious um and so yeah it's just like this very progressive for the victorian era this very well even for now in a lot of circles very progressive woman um who is a scientist and is brilliant and solves murders in victorian england while like i don't know wearing a lot of pins in her hat so that she can stab people who annoy her. She's just so good. So that's uh, a curious beginning is the first book in the Veronica Speedwell mystery series. And the author is Deanna Rayborn. Okay. 
Question three is anonymous and anonymous says, I'm looking for some books to get me through a horrible time in my life right now. Having just learned that my husband is having an affair. Books have always been my escape, but right now I'm too depressed and can't focus or get into anything. I'm thinking of something that's immersive, but that I don't need to concentrate on too much. I'd be open to something encouraging as long as it's not too self-helpy or preachy about surviving. Nothing with romance or relationships or anything like that. Obviously, I prefer something on audio. Okay, Jen, what do you have? I have Murderbot. <laughs> you need Murderbot. It's the series by Martha Wells. The first book is called All Systems Red. And Murderbot does not do feelings or relationships. And I feel like you will enjoy... It is self-titled Murderbot, um, who is the narrator of these books. There's a bunch of them out now, so there's more if you like it. And they are on audio. I double-checked. Uh, so as you might have guessed, the narrator of this series is an android who is a supposedly a security droid like its job is to go with teams of explorers out to various planets and keep them safe from any you know xenoflora or fauna that might attack them and make sure that they are secure or whatever and it's not it's only supposed to obey commands from either its programmers this company giant company or the people who it's been assigned to protect but this particular bot has hacked its own programming and then made sure that nobody can tell because it just wants to be left alone like it's fine to do its job for the most part and then it just wants to watch like the in-world version of Netflix and K-dramas and like be left alone and so you know it's moving along going through the motions on this uh, uh, with this team of scientists who are doing tests on a distant planet, when things start to get shady, there's all of a sudden these signs that perhaps this planet has been explored before and maybe there are other people on it, even though there aren't supposed to be. And there's ambushes and there's giant like dirt worms and all of this stuff happens. And Murderbot kind of has to show them that it, has its own initiative uh, because of a thing that happens. And so then it has to deal with all of these humans who like want to talk to it about what it wants or doesn't want and have feelings at it. It's just like, no, no, thank you. Like none of this. Um, but it's also gotten attached to the people that it's working with. And so you see Murderbot sort of like just trying to live its own life. And there's all these things going on around it that it then has to deal with. And it's so fun. And it's so beautifully done. Murderbot is an amazing character. And it's very entertaining to see its like feelings about the humans that it has to deal with. I think you'll really get a kick out of these and also like will not have to deal with any like relationshipy stuff or you know like love nonsense because that's not how Murderbot rolls. So again, the first one is All Systems Red. It's the Murderbot Diaries series by Martha Wells, and there are a bunch out. And there's a full length novel. These are mostly novellas. There's a full length novel coming out, I believe, next year, which is very exciting. Mm -hmm. Cosigned. Mm -hmm. um, okay, I cheated a little bit. This one is not out on audio yet, but it will be in June. And if you don't want to wait till June, just pick it up and read it because it is so amazing and good. And it is An Elderly Lady is Up to No Good by Helen Helene Turston. It's translated by Marlene DeLargy. Um, this I picked for you because it. if you can't focus, I think this is a really good selection because it's a collection of short stories all about a woman named Maud who is 88. She lives in Sweden. She has no family, no friends. She's also a serial killer. And she just murders everyone who annoys her if for any reason. 
And I feel like that is a mood that you could maybe benefit from right now. Um, Because I relate to your feelings and what you're feeling right now. And it is like, I don't know, distraction. She is really sarcastic and funny. And even though you know, going into this book that she is a murderer and therefore wrong, you kind of get it. Like every single story, you're like, I mean... Okay. <laughs> like hashtag relatable. relatable content. What's happening right now? Because she doesn't ever the people who annoy her annoy her in ways that are like really uh, unjust. Like for example, she gets a new neighbor um who a really rich spoiled woman who um you know doesn't work her she comes from this long line of wealthy people in Sweden um and she start the the neighbor starts to try to take advantage of Maud because she thinks that Maud is like this doty old woman who she can just, you know, steamroll. And so she tries to steal her apartment because Maud's apartment is like nicer. And Maud has lived there her whole life, like since childhood. Um, her family, you know, grew up and died in that apartment. She's the last one left. And so Maud kills her. <laughs> and like, this is not a spoiler, you know, going in that she's going to murder all of these people. Um, and there's, there's a, a man who's beating his wife in her building who she kind of takes care of. Like, Ah, I get it. I get it. I realize that you're a serial killer and this is terrible, but I kind of get it. And since they're short stories and they're not really connected, like you don't, you could read them out of order. Um, you don't have to know who she murdered in the last chapter to care about who she's going to murder in the next one. Um, and she's just so like irascible. I love her so much. I love her so much, even as I recognize that I shouldn't because she's a murderer and that's terrible. But I don't know. It's just great. That's just great. So that's An Elderly Lady is Up to No Good by Helene Turston. So much fun. I love that book so much. All right. Our next question is from Grace, who says, I have recently discovered that I have an intense love of fiction books that deal with main characters who are, quote unquote, citizen scientists or actual scientists. A few examples include The Signature of All Things, All the Light We Cannot See, and State of Wonder. I like sumptuous and sweeping novels with chapters that offer a glimpse into the life of a scientist or person who loves science and nature. Uh, descriptive prose, stories that focus on characters. I'm looking for more books like this and look forward to your recommendations. Okay. So, I am recommending Euphoria by Lily King, which has been on my TBR since it came out a while back. And I haven't gotten to it yet, but I know Rebecca loved it. And I checked in with her and she said she actually liked it even better than uh, State of Wonder by mm. Ann Patchett, which she also read and loved. So that comes with like a bonus recommendation. Um, she also said there it, she had read it a while ago as well. And there's possible like colonizer Eurocentric issues, but she couldn't remember for sure. So that's just something to be aware of going in. Um, but it is a, inspired by a true story. And it's about three young anthropologists who in 1933, so hello, you know, potential colonizer <laughs> issues, um, go to New Guinea. Uh, Nell Stone is like this magnetic, famous um, person who's done controversial work studying South Pacific tribes. There's her husband, Fen, and then Andrew Bankson, who sort of becomes a part of a trio with this couple. And then, you know, they're producing their best work ever, but there's love and jealousy and careers and what's going to happen and all of that stuff. So I think this is going to be right in that same wheelhouse for you. Beautiful descriptions of nature and people and then, you know, all of the complicated feelings and stakes. So again, that's Euphoria by Lily King. All right. I picked The Essex Serpent by Sarah Perry, which is also Victorian. This is just a mood I'm in right now, apparently. Um, and it is about a woman named Cora, who is a super smart um 
interested in science. She's not a scientist, I wouldn't say, but she's definitely interested in science. The only reason she hasn't become a scientist, or at this time they would have called her like a naturalist, um, is because she was married very young. She got married at 19 and her husband was abusive and domineering. And when the book opens, he's died. So she has uh, his estate and her son, who was 11, and all of this money and like is determined to go off and become a naturalist and to pursue the things that she finds interesting, um, which includes, you know, like Darwin's new freshly emerging theories about evolution and discovering new species and all of that. So she goes to um, Essex. And while she's there, she Essex is like on the coast. She's leaving London and going to coastal England, this town of Essex. And while she's there, she hears a rumor that what they call the Essex serpent, which is like this beast <laughs> that lives in the marshes, has reemerged after um, of like 300 years and has killed someone uh, on New Year's Eve. And so she takes the rumors very seriously, uh, thinks that it is possible that there is some kind of undiscovered creature or sea beastie um, who has become stranded in this estuary uh, outside of Essex and she wants to find it. She wants to find it and discover it and study it and become famous and intellectual and smart and all of these things. Um, at the same time, we are also following the um, local, I never get this right, vicar, I think, like the preacher, priest guy, um, who is in charge of the spiritual health of the village. His name is Will. Um, and he has, he's married. He's got a wife who's very sickly. Um, and he is a lot, a little bit the opposite of Cora. Obviously he's like a man of faith. He doesn't buy into Darwin's ideas or this idea that like an, an ancient beast is living in his village outside of his village. Um, and he thinks that it's probably some kind of mass group hysteria born from like the guilt of our sins or some nonsense like that. Um, and so, but the two of them oddly become really close. Cora and Will um, become really fast friends arguing with each other. <laughs> it's like, it's not love hate because they really do just love each other. Like, but they disagree about basically everything that they talk about. Um, so you're following both their relationship as they argue about the, whether or not, well, they're arguing about life, the universe and everything, but also what's happening with this quote unquote serpent. And then they, both of them are like trying to solve the mystery of what's happening. So like Cora, you know, tucks her dress up and puts on man's boots and goes trumping through the marsh to try and find what's going on. And will like, exasperatingly follows her so she doesn't die and also because she's just full of nonsense and it's obviously you know uh, um, like a hallucination everyone is having um but their relationship is really interesting their friendship is really fascinating um and cora as a person who is like an amateur scientist um watching her intellectual development is really fascinating so that's the essex serpent by sarah perry all right. Our next sponsor is In Her Sights by Katie Ruggle. And this is the first in a brand new series about a band of female bounty hunters who live in the heart of the Rocky Mountains and the men who steal mm -hmm. their hearts. Hello, <laughs> Wheelhouse. <laughs> so Molly Pax is a bounty hunter, as I said. Uh, she has turned the bail recovery business she shares with her sisters into a huge success. But then their sticky-fingered mother jumps back and puts the childhood home up as collateral. So, of course, she is horrified. And then to make everything worse, all of the two-bit criminals in the Rockies now see her family's misfortune as their next big break. So everything is going to hell. She needs help. And, of course, enter rival bounty hunter John Carmody, who is... Him, six feet Ew. of pure trouble. <laughs> he, 
He's apparently the most cheerfully, annoyingly gorgeous frenemy Molly's <laughs> ever had. The pleasure of defeating. Love it. And he may, of course, be her only hope of making it out of this alive. So you have like dueling bounty hunters falling in love. I love it. Um, Katie Ruggle has had four Amazon Best Books of the Month and an Amazon Best Book of the Year for her Rocky Mountain Canine Unit series book, Run to Ground. Uh, she's got blurbs from folks like Charlene Harris, so well regarded. And she actually has experience both as a survivalist and is a graduate of Police Academy. So her storylines and characters are uh, based in her own authentic experience. So if this sounds interesting to you, sure does to me, you should definitely check it out. Again, that is In Her Sights by Katie Ruggle. Bounty Hunters are such a fun I really thing. love all of the copy the whoever wrote yes the, the copy, copy is well for done. this book is aces well done two thumbs up to that <laughs> sales department uh, <laughs> I approve of it all right next question is from Lindsay who says I'm getting married next May and we are going on our honeymoon to Belgium in July I'm looking for books that are set in Belgium or about the history of the country to read before we go I do enjoy historical fiction, contemporary fiction, and mystery thrillers. I will read nonfiction. However, I don't want it to be too dry. Okay, um, I'm going to keep going. I picked historical fiction for you, and I picked The Lady and the Unicorn by Tracy Chevalier. And this is historical fiction, very historical. It takes place in the 1490s and the like years after that. Um, and it is about, I don't know if you've seen these, but The Lady and the Unicorn is a medieval tapestry. There's actually a set of them, um, and each one has a lady and a unicorn in it, obviously, and they're doing different things in all of these tapestries. They hang still today. They hang at the Cluny Museum in Paris. Um, I'm familiar with them for, for a, a weird reason, which is that I, they're really popular cross-stitch patterns. I don't know. People like to take them and make them into cross-stitches. So I've seen them before, not in real life, but in cross-stitches. They're very pretty. So these are like world-famous tapestries. And the book is about their creation. So in 1490, this French nobleman um, commissions these tapestries. There are six of them that are supposed to celebrate his like rising status at the French court. So he hires Nicholas, um, I'm never going to say this right, De Innocents, I guess, uh, to design them. And while he's designing them at court, Nicholas creates all this havoc and like, you know, um, he's a, a rogue, I guess, uh, creates all this havoc among all of the women who live in this house. And then he takes his designs for the... Um, tapestries to Brussels to his workshop where the master weaver is going to create them. Um, and so most of the book takes place in Brussels in this weaver's workshop where he is working, like risking his name is George is what I said in my head, but it has an us in the end. So I'm probably pronouncing that wrong because French. Um, and so he's risking like his entire career to finish these because they're very, I mean, like if you see them, they're super intricate and very complex. Like tapestries are woven giant rugs basically and i've seen several that are like beautiful but these are just like the flowers are tiny and like how did he so many magnifying glasses must have been involved um but if you're curious about how they were created you're gonna find out in this book and you're also gonna learn and this is why i picked it a lot about the working class of belgium in the 1500s early 1500s late 1400s um which if you're going to a place i don't know this is just how i like to read before I travel to a place like I want to get way back in the like the establishment history of the place. Uh, and of course, Belgium is older than the 1400s. But that like kind of middle class apprentice workmanship kind of class of artisans, um, I find their lives just like really fascinating. And it's this fiction about 
these normal people, not, you know, I mean, other than the French nobleman who commissions them, but these normal people who aren't royalty or aristocrats or super, super wealthy, making something beautiful that we still have, um, that you can go see if you want to stop by Paris on your way to your honeymoon. So that's The Lady and the Unicorn by Tracy Chevalier. Mine is very <laughs> aristocraty. It is Belgravia by Julian Fellows, who you might have heard of. He is the creator of Downton Abbey, uh, writer of Gosford Park, et cetera, et cetera. So you can get an idea of what is coming next. This is a very dishy, scandalous high society novel uh, that also has some emotional heft to it. It takes place on the eve of the Battle of Waterloo and a bunch of British, you know, high society folks have gathered in Brussels uh, at the Duchess of Richmond's ball. Um, and so a lot of like the young men attending this ball are the very next day going to be on the battlefield. So Sophia Trenchard, who is uh, the young and beautiful daughter of Wellington's chief supplier, is there sort of like making her you know, I can't remember if it's her debut or not, but, you know, she's supposed to like be having a wonderful fancy evening. And of course, it is overshadowed by this Paul of War and everything's going to change. Um, and then it jumps forward 25 years later when the Trenchards have moved into this fancy new area of London um, and like things from that moment are coming back to sort of haunt them. So there's like the aristocracy and nouveau riche and there's secrets and there's society, you know, <laughs> shenanigans. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So you get some Brussels in Belgium. You get a little bit of England too because of, you know, Julian Fellows. That's what he does. But I thought it would be a fun uh, option for you. So again, that's Belgravia by Julian Fellows. And our last, nope, that's our next question, just kidding, is from Arlene, who says, I recently read and enjoyed The Song of Achilles and was wondering if you could recommend similar books, but dealing with Roman or Norse mythology rather than Greek. Um, Amanda, okay. what I picked a book appropriately called Norse Mythology. <laughs> um, it is by Neil Gaiman. <laughs> I don't feel like I need to explain Neil Gaiman to you. But this was released in 2017. Um, and I think would really scratch that Song of Achilles itch because it is fictionalized. Um, so he takes really, you know, well, not well established, but like, well known, there it is, well known um, Norse myths, Odin, Thor, Loki, um, and makes them into a, it's kind of hard to describe. It's a collection of short stories, essentially, but some of them are super short, like a page. So it's almost like, a, it's more like a narrative arc or linked short stories, if you want to think about it that way. And he takes the myths of the Norse pantheon and turns them into these novelized um, retellings. Uh, and so you're getting the gist, I guess, or, you know, the um, essence of who these gods are um, and their relationships with each other. And you, the book opens with the creation of the nine worlds. And then you go into like their various and sundry exploits. There are dwarfs and giants, of course, because Loki is the son of a giant, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, and, you know, the, the, you don't get a, a lot of, in pop culture when you're talking about Norse myths of like the ridiculous stuff that happens, like that time Loki turns into a frog or something like that. And then like they all get super drunk and write really terrible poetry. Like Norse mythology is like watching a frat house get super wasted and then do like, a <laughs> bunch of dumb crap. And it's so entertaining. And when you put that in the hands of Neil Gaiman, who like very obviously respects these myths and these stories. Um, and he has that way of telling, uh, I don't even know, like, it's just really respectful. Like, there, I, I don't know any of any other way to put it, even while he's writing about like somebody farting beer out of their butt. 
some immortal being farting beer out of their butt and then writing poetry while they're doing it. Uh, it's just like uh, hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious, but it's also very, um, he's not lacking any of the emotions that these gods and various and sundry supernatural beings have. Like he takes them seriously. That's what I'm trying to say. I think is that he takes them seriously, even when they're getting up to some really goofy stuff, like really just the goofiest kind of stuff. Um, but he never treats them like a joke or like a caricature um, or anything like that, which is what, you know, song of Achilles, the, the source material, I think, is a little bit le- it's a little bit less frat housey in as much as like the shenanigans that they're getting up to involves less farting but it is still like the song of achilles is still <laughs> homeric work is, is still about dudes doing doodly stuff and so and getting drunk and like causing a bunch of havoc so i don't know that you could say that the topic the topics or the subject matter is like more serious the greek myth when compared to the norse ones um because everybody's still pretty much the same amount of drunk um but there's like they're a little bit more coarse i don't know i'm going off a rant about like the coarseness of norse mythology neil gaiman is great go read his retellings that's norse mythology by neil gaiman amanda on mythology is a rant I <laughs> thank <enjoy>. you <laughs> So I went more for the feel plus some light mythology. Uh, I was thinking about Song of Achilles and Mm -hmm. how sort of gauzy and dreamy it feels. And then there's these really powerful emotional stakes. Uh, So I picked A Taste of Honey by Kai Ashanti Wilson, which comes with uh, trigger warnings for homophobia um, and some family violence. Uh, It is about a young man who has grown up in this court, his father father is uh, in charge of you know the beasts of the court uh he's like fourth cousin not super you know important or whatever but is it has a place there and he has a talent with animals uh and is otherwise just sort of you know hanging out in the background doing his thing and there's a visiting delegation of soldiers who feel very roman uh greco-roman inspired named Lucrio and he just totally falls for this soldier and they start to you know have this romance but his father and older brother do not approve and so he is fighting against these you know repressive family and societal structures and Lucrio comes from a culture that's much more open to this so there's like a culture clash involved and and there's also a twist that I will not tell you about, but there's a beautifully done twist. And what amazes me about this, because it is a novella, it's like 160 pages, but Wilson packs so much in here. There's like big feelings, there's plot twists, there's this beautiful, like I said, structure to it that you don't even realize until later on. And it's so well done and it feels so much mm. bigger like it's bigger <laughs> on the inside this book and i just loved it so much i love the way that he is playing with these sort of greco-roman traditions but recasting them in a very different you know sort of african inspired way and it it just blends so many things so beautifully together and he's such a good writer he's such a good writer the sentences are beautiful which i feel like madeline miller also does so i feel like this will scratch the same itch so again that's a taste of Honey by Kai Ashanti Wilson. All right. Our last question is from Mary, who says, a show a few weeks ago made me realize I would like to read uh, romances with an Asian and a Caucasian character. I'm married to a man who was born in Korea, so I'd love it to have a Korean in it, but I'm open to other countries or heritages. 
Okay, I picked The Kiss Quotient by Helen Hong, which has a racially ambiguous heroine. I think um, this recommendation comes from uh, one of our contributors, because I haven't actually read The Kiss Quotient yet. But she said that the author purposefully wrote the heroine as ethnically ambiguous, like you do not know um, what ethnicity she is. The hero, who is an escort (laughs) named Michael, is Vietnamese and Swedish. Um, so Stella, Stella's the heroine and she is on the, she has Asperger's and she is in her thirties, early thirties and is doing very well in her career. She comes up with, she's like a math whiz. She comes up with algorithms that help companies predict what customers are going to buy. And so she's got lots of money, but she doesn't have any experience dating because she spent most of her time, you know, building her career. So she hires Michael, this super hot (laughs) Vietnamese and Swedish, um, um, escort to help her learn what she has essentially missed, like to make up for all the time, the lost, the time that she's lost, not dating instead working. So she has this like checkbox. She wants him to teach her how to kiss. She wants him to teach her what foreplay is and other stuff that I probably shouldn't, I don't know, talk about on this show. Cause you know, <laughs> we're going to lose our explicit rating. Um, but of course, because this is a romance novel, you can imagine what happens when two people who are emotionally compatible, start making out a lot and doing other stuff, you know, in the name of science, um, she starts developing feelings for him that she doesn't know what to do with for a lot of reasons. You know, the fact that he's an escort is not a small one. Um, but their partnership, this like what is essentially a business relationship that they have started, starts to feel like more than that. Like they make sense together. Um, and so they have to figure out what to do with that. Yeah. So that is The Kiss Quotient by Helen Hong. I picked Trade Me by Courtney Milan, which is the first in her Cyclone series. Highly recommend. It's contemporary. And the main character, Tina Chen, is Asian. And she is she's working class. She's very dedicated to her family. And she wants to get a degree and a job so that her family never has to worry about making rent again. Like her goals are family oriented. She is on an incredibly tight budget, um, working her way through college, really struggling, but like doing it all as best she can and really like doing a great job, but it's, it's not easy. It's really hard for her. And, but she's just got her head down. This is what she's doing. She's totally determined she's going to do it. And there's this guy in her class named Blake Reynolds, who is the son of a billionaire. He's going to inherit this cyclone technology company, which is sort of an Apple-esque company. And he, she's like just kind of been like ignoring him in classes. And then one day during a class debate, he makes an offhand comment about what it means to be poor. And she loses it. She's like, you have no idea what you're talking about. You would not last a month living my life. And he takes her up on the challenge. He says, okay, uh, I will, I will take your income and life for a month and you can take mine. You can have my income, my house, my car, whatever. Uh, And, you know, we'll see how it goes because he actually is having his own struggles and feeling really trapped. And in that sort of white dude way, feels like, oh, this is like a way out for me 
to, you know, put my own problems aside for a while and do something that seems like a challenge, you know. Uh, and so he's coming into it, you know, with some good intentions, but like a lot of assumptions. And she's just like, all right, fine. <laughs> I will take your money. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I will do your job. I will kill it. And you will see that you cannot hack it. And of course, they are, you know, start to interact more. Maybe there's some feelings. Um, and they both end up sharing a lot of things about themselves in the course of trading lives that they perhaps did not plan on sharing. Uh, this book comes with a trigger warning for eating disorders. So if that's going to bug you, skip it because it is pretty explicit in here. Uh, but it's so good. And they just really do dig into so much different baggage in really unexpected ways. And I love how Courtney Milan handles their relationship. There's real growth for both of the characters and also some really funny moments and then some really heartbreaking moments. And it's just got all of the things I love in a romance. And Tina is such an awesome character. And you so rarely see this depiction of what it means to be working class. And especially if you're struggling to support family as well, um, when you are a younger person in the situation, it's really fantastic. So again, that's Trade Me by Courtney Millen. And that's our show. Oh, and I'm right. Sorry. I was just going to say, and obviously the heroine is Asian and Blake is white. I think I said that, but just to make it clear, that's, that's, that's how, why I picked it for this question. <laughs> and that's our show. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. Please go leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. I am on Twitter at Jen IRL. And I did. I finally broke down and made a bookstagram. Yay! So you can now find me on Instagram at I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye.